Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. From Offscript Media, I am Matthew Zachary, and this is Out of Patience. On today's show, my dear friend, Joe Dolce. This guy is the godfather of cannabis anthropology. Met him a couple of years ago genius guy he was the uh he started out as the editor-in-chief of details in star magazine this guy is an a journalist like you've never seen before he's the author of brave new weed adventures into the uncharted world of cannabis and he's the host of the brave new weed podcast at bravenewweed.com and he's the founder of medicalcannabismentor.com which trains bud tenders on how to give the right products to the right customers at dispensaries. This guy is wizard. He's magic. And I can't wait for you to hear all about him. Enjoy the show and wash your hands. Joe Dolce here with us. Huge fan of yours. Known you a long time now. And says me, you are the, don't think this is an ageist, the godfather of cannabis anthropology. Your book is uh, really affected me so much. Brave New Weed. What's I should the title of my book, Matt? Name the book. Brave name New Weed. Book. <laughs> That's how we do it. I know. I know. Like, <laughs> well, in my book, I say this. <laughs> Wonderful media training. Yes, I know. It's um, it's a, a, a stunning, and I can't imagine how no one had written that book yet until you did, that these things you're talking about, exposing the history of this innocent <laughs> he's poor innocent plant yeah, right <laughs> but I, i'll let you do the the um the stronger introductions as to how did you get into this you have a wonderful media background where did this come from well the first thing i'll tell you is that when i started this in like 2013 almost everyone i know said you're crazy you're gonna give up your career to write a book about pot you're nuts mm. I, I was i was redeemed a few months ago when one of those people said to me you know i told you you were crazy you turned out to be spot on <laughs> i take it all back futurist i just got lucky i mean it was it was i was at a moment of do you believe in luck i believe in karma you're a cancer survivor do you believe in luck i believe that i have a mel brooks theory of why the universe happens which we can go into at a separate time but okay. yes, luck and coincidence are definitely part of it. So I was at a moment where I was leaving the world of magazines. I had left the world of magazines where I was an editor for some 30 years. I, I saw the end coming. And I wasn't going to be a part of it, Rip clearly. Paper. 
uh, <laughs> and uh, I was having uh, so so it actually goes back before that. My mother, who was ninety five at the time, was living with my sister in Maine and her husband. They were taking care of her. She had lost her vision. Mm. My sister is a Jehovah's Witness. Okay, I am so not a Jehovah's Witness, it's not even funny. Nobody in my family is, we don't know how it happened. Her husband is not a Jehovah's Witness. And one morning he wakes me up very early in the morning and he says, hey, do you wanna see this new hobby? And I said, cup of coffee? And he said, yeah, I got it right here. Come downstairs to the basement. He says, I want to show you something. Yeah, go down to the basement. And, you know, we're walking through locked doors and I hear air filters. I sort of know what's coming. And he <laughs> walks me through and we see these two aluminum zip, zip, uh, you know, closet bags. And he zips one up and he says, I want you to meet the girls. And inside are 12 or 16 uh, little plants, uh, something called sil- uh, super lemon haze. And I, you know, who names these things? Some very smart grower, because in fact, the terpene profile of super lemon haze does smell like lemon. Wow. Okay. So these guys who grow, and mostly guys, but women who grow too, are very acute. Uh, they have very strong affinity with this plant. It, it is, it is. Well, they're like pets. It's, it, they are like that. Yeah. There's something that is beguiling. And uh, at first you sort of don't believe it. But when you realize how much they feel the plant, know the plant, can look at the plant and say, that needs this, you're, you're, you're quickly, uh, quickly stunned. Anyway, so he says, you got, you got a, this is super lemon haze. It's pretty amazing. I, I grew some last year, came out really well. You got to try some. Now, so at that point in my life, I hadn't been really smoking cannabis too much. I had moved on to other, other uh, imbibing substances, let's mm. say. And I said, sure, let's try. And, you know, I, I'd fully expected to get tired or sort of thick, not excited. It turned out that my brain started ticking in all sorts of interesting and lateral ways. And I felt, wow, this is really stimulating. And I had a great day. And I said to him, give me some of that. You know, as I left Maine, I was like, give me some of that. I want to take some home with me and explore it. And take it across state lines. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to write a book on cannabis in 2013 or 14 and report it, you're going to break some laws, which yes. I managed to do every place, every country I went to. So <laughs> it wasn't very hard to, to get to, to elude. Anyway, um, I go back to New York and I'm having lunch with my agent. And he said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm just sort of like not doing much. I'm, I'm lost. What I have been doing is, is smoking this really good weed. And he like bangs the table and he goes, God damn it, I love weed. <laughs> and I said, Bob, you're, you're in your 70s. I've, we had a, I've known you for all these years. How have I never known this? And he said, oh, the feds are ridiculous and I've supported normal my whole life and I won't even travel to a hotel anywhere, no matter how four-star four it is if I can't open the windows. You should write a book on this. And there I said, go. Bob what's there to write about? It's weed. He said, look into it, Joe. Look into it. There's amazing things happening. Okay. So do you want me to keep going? Please. No, this okay. is, this is so, anthropology. Anthropology. <laughs> that's how it starts, right? So it was a birthday coming up of mine in November. I can't remember what year it was. but 29 we'll leave, again. Yeah, 29. We'll leave that aside. And it turned out that it was the 25th anniversary of the High Times Cannabis Cup that was being held in Amsterdam. And I had always heard about this event. 
and had never gone to any of them. But it was my birthday, and I was thinking, okay, maybe this is worth exploring. So I did. I booked a ticket to Amsterdam, took myself there. You know, Amsterdam in November, there's nicer places you could go. It pretty much rains or sleets on you all the time. And it did. And the, the the convention itself was so discombobulated. I mean, there was like, you know, one crooked sign hung on a fence somewhere. And the hall itself was not heated. And there were a lot of people there in tie-dye coughing really heavily. And I'm the only guy with no beard walking around with a notebook and a pen. And everybody thinks, narc. Yeah. Right? So I had almost no friends in this convention of this kind of pariah convention. i was just sort of not loved and um <laughs> by the end of the four days I, I met a few people there i'm not sure i wasn't loved but I, but i met an american guy there and and at the end he said so what was it like for you and i said i didn't really like it he said yeah the lights are really going out here in amsterdam aren't they i moved to denver two years ago you should sit, come and see me this guy turns out... Well, that to, was where everything was starting. This is before it was starting. It was before... Uh, they, they had passed some laws, but there was nothing legal, nothing on the book. So everything going on was, was you know, in the gray zone or underground. Anyway, Adam Dunn, I, he has a podcast, lovely guy, big beard, uh, and I remained in contact. And strangely enough, he started answering my emails when I came back. And I said, all right, I'm taking you up on your offer. Can I come out and hang with you guys, whoever you are? Um, Everything has to be on the record. I'm going to observe everything. I'm going to quote you by by name. If anybody doesn't want to be a part of it, they don't join the festivities. And he said, yeah, come on. And I got, you know, okay, now I do believe in luck. Uh, This group of people, mostly men, were much like the growers we initially described. They were all growing. They were making hash. They were starting edibles companies. They were starting chocolate companies. You know, I would go into the back room of this hemp clothing store where they all convened every evening, and they would just come in with these incredible, like, bell jars full of this weed they had grown, and they would pass it around. And inhale. And, you know, one guy, I remember, I'll never forget this. He stuck his nose in the jar and it looked like he fell asleep. Like he was just like asleep in that jar for minutes. And that was his, it was almost like his sex, right? He was loving this so much. Anyway, these guys were really open, really generous, really, I got lucky. Everything I saw was future foretold here. And I knew nothing about bubble hash or 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 dabbing or or concentrates i didn't know any of this stuff anyway so i inhaled these are the founding ingredients that led you to oh my god this book well i'm going to tell you how i got to it actually it's a longer story than you anticipated isn't it (laughs) no i'm sorry it's worth it though you can cut me uh so (laughs) post-production so i spent (laughs) a week there inhaling a lot of secondhand smoke mostly uh watching listening recording observing and on the final day they say you got to do a dab so do you know what a dab is i know what a dab is from my 10 year old's perspective but okay it's probably not the same dab you're so talking about a dab is do you know what a dab is Andrew? it's a so so a lot of people don't know what a dab is i wasn't the only one but it's a super concentrate of hash oil so say a, a regular variety of cannabis is maybe 25 percent thc mm-hmm. a dab can be up to 80 to 90 percent THC. So you use a tiny amount, like the size of a quinoa seed, right? So they said, you're going to do your first dab. I said, all right, I'm going to do my first dab. So I didn't know 
the size of a dab. And they gave me, I mean, they were probably being sweet, but they gave me maybe the size of three quinoa seeds. And that was a very long exhalation. And we go to dinner. I'm taking Adam out to dinner that night, and I'm sitting at the bar looking at the menu, and suddenly, like, the words are literally dancing off the page. Okay? <laughs> Your leery experience was happening. Now, this is not, this is fun for about a minute, and then I'm on the boat. Like, the seat is rocking, right? And the table is feeling unsteady, and I know this is not going to end well, and I end up running outside and puking very hard hard like from my testicles okay the kind of it is not a natural vomiting i <laughs> i have never experienced this in my life on the street in the winter in denver outside this restaurant but for like a half hour okay and this is not going away finally it stopped and it, you know it was horrible and i go back inside and adam drives me home and i puked on the way home in the gutter the whole thing was humiliating and exhausting and very uncomfortable. It might not have been true that you needed to do a dab. It was extremely disconcerting because cannabis, as you know, is is always used, typically used anti as an anti-nausea medication, right? That's People true. with cancer yes. use cannabis to quell nausea, to feel better. Not to mm. induce it. Not to induce <laughs> it. So I, you know, I had a bad night. I had a slow, foggy morning. I woke up and I started Googling. You know, what's going on? I could not find an answer. I couldn't find an answer. The only thing I found was a paper written by Dr. Raphael Meshulam, who really is the original OG of cannabis research. He's a biochemist based in Israel. He discovered THC in 1964 and CBD, in which he starts talking about this illness called hyperemesis, which is a medical term for violent vomiting. And that's all I saw. And that's how I started writing a book. I figured I've got to go to Israel. I've got to find out what in this plant made me vomit. Mm. Okay. So, and that's when I sat down and I thought, okay, maybe there is a book here. Maybe I know nothing about cannabis after having used it for, you know, whatever, 30, 40 years, uh, you know, very liberally, very unconsciously, very unconscientiously, I should say. And, uh, and that's what I did. I sat down, I wrote, I got, I, he granted me an interview in Hebrew University. He was, I don't know, 86 at the time, 87. He's now 90. Um, and uh, that's it. That's how I began the journey of what is cannabis, really. Sorry for that really long answer. No, it's that's it's, really it's, it, man. But that's the thing, Larry. So now we know what dabbing is, your yeah. version of dabbing, <laughs> not the one where you stick your hands on front of your face and like the kids do these days in the dancing. I just dated myself as well. Dad joke you there. You did, Daddy. But at the end of the day, the book is not just a telling of your awakening and discovery and and heaving on 16th street in denver but you talk about why is it so ridiculously stupid in america right what is with the scheduling and what is with the illegalities and how did this all begin back yeah. in i was telling andrew this this is a a um uh a, a prohibition the prohibition issue. began after alcohol prohibition you know let me tell you What's going on in America today? This has been happening for a long time in many different ways. So in the Great Depression, a lot of Mexican workers were fleeing Mexico because conditions were worse there and they were coming over the border. And the head of what was then the FBN, Federal Bureau of Narcotics, he saw an opportunity. There's brown people. We can label them criminals. And how are we going to get them? 
not because they're brown, but they're because they're carrying this stuff with them. Right. Right. They weren't carrying bottles of tequila. That's heavy. <laughs> you can, you know, you can pick some dried leaves and carry them with you, and it makes nasty hard labor a lot better. Right. So that's how federal prohibition began. This crazy guy, Harry Ans Harry Anslinger, yeah, like the J. Edgar Hoover of his day, started this idea of marijuana prohibition and rammed it through the Congress. Institutional racism. Completely. I mean, yeah. the AMA argued against it at the time. They argued that cannabis was a useful um, all-purpose medicine. Right. Um, but he managed to ram it through. FDR signed it, and that was the beginning of the prohibition. It just got worse. He, you know, he he produced with federal dollars reefer madness. Right. I mean, you look at it today, and it's laughable. But you know what? It's, it's a terrific film. It's a terrific film. You know what its biggest claim was? Do you remember? Well, I I think the the scene that most people are familiar with is the one in which uh, uh, a man smoking marijuana demands that a woman play the piano faster and faster, yes, faster and I believe and it ends with him throwing her out the window. Yes, exactly. <laughs> violence, <laughs> violence, violence, insanity, and yes. causing white women to sleep with black men. Mm, right. Okay. That was those were the three things that cannabis will make you do. Okay. And that just stuck. And then it gets even more surreal when you get Richard Nixon in the 1960s who hated hippies and everything associated with them, right? And yeah. he starts this war on drugs and starts this Schedule One classification, yep. which lumps it along with heroin. And that's when they, and devotes a shit ton of money about it. And, you know, politicians, they really like a war. Yes, they do. And if it isn't a war with guns, you can definitely wage a war on drugs and make it immoral and make it, you know, unethical and all this stuff. And it is amazing how all of those myths and misconceptions became sort of fact. Back with our guest after the break. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. part that struck me the most about what you just talked about is when you were with your elder friend and you talked about cannabis he's like oh it was like me too like like let's all come out of the weed closet because it's this unnecessarily undiscussable conversation out of risk and shame uh, i have one one particular cancer story one this was before i was sick we had a neighbor growing up in the neighborhood and the the kid got 
cancer and he was sick and he wanted pot to have an appetite yeah because he was getting tiny and you know dying from chemotherapy or whatever and so back then you know you had to find it and you had the dealers and like under the table kind of crap and one of the neighbors ratted him out for smoking weed in the house illegally even though he was using it to have an appetite to live through chemotherapy what a hero that that Nice neighbor. Nice neighbor. And that was like how I was introduced to cannabis and cancer is like, but it helps you. Why is it illegal? Which led me to bring this conversation up running stupid cancer with millions of millennials and Gen Xers out there where it became like this. This should be as easily discussable as it is right now. So let me ask you a question. There you are running this org nonprofit Mm -hmm. and you're advocating for uh, for cannabis where there are people in the executive levels or in the tiers, uh, the higher tiers of the organization saying, don't do that. Be careful. Stay clear. Not a one. Wow, that's great. That's great. It was, I mean, again, it was edgy enough to be a part of what our brand promised people that it's okay to be angry and and celebrate together and, and, and find commonalities. But if you're about dignity and quality of life, and this is a consumer product in a market where it's legal therapeutically and medicinally, you have the right to access it in a way that gives you the best decision to, to you know, a, a lower your stress or sleep better or have no food, or, you know. So that was where the uh, sort of the um, consumer advocate component of why cannabis mattered in the cancer conversation and cancer and cannabis is just waiting to explode in this country because there's 19 million cancer survivors and there's 60 million Americans affected by those 19 million cancer survivors and sentiment with you can't do like a a a pew internet on sentiment on cannabis and cancer but we did and like 99 percent of the cancer community out of like I think there were 400,000 people on Facebook at the time we polled anecdotally it was more than a poll when 99% of people answer a question the same way which is yes yes that's not anecdotal anymore. don't you think that the treatment rooms I mean I, I don't have cancer and I don't know many people who have actually but I, I know what it's like when you have chemotherapy and you go into these rooms and you get a drip don't you think they should have cannabis dispensaries in those rooms right then and there I think that yes in practice and concept that's a nice idea the challenge is with when you're dealing with a medicare funded institution they cannot use any dollars to put a schedule one One. drug no of course of course so the barrier to anything out there yeah we can argue that look the economy you can make money colorado you know the the states can do what they want they can but they still can't have the cancer centers have this in the play they can't even have dispensaries in centers even though it's like denver can't put a dispensary at denver children's they have to be across the street, the street. from yeah. Denver Children's yeah. out there. Yeah. So the, the the bigger conversation is who's protecting American citizens that have the legal right to buy a product that's Schedule One, and where's the Yelp for that? Where's the peer to peer for that? Because, like you said, to the terpenes and the cannabinoids, like everything has to be mixed up in a certain way to work for you, yes. just like any other chemotherapy, any yes. other. chemotherapeutic agent of which cannabis is one everything is a chemotherapeutic agent because we're we're built from chemistry this is the conversation now and without descheduling it you're you're kind of stuck but i'll just wrap that up in a bun by saying 
consumer sentiment is there. It's there. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you know, I do this podcast, Brave New Weed podcast, and I have a cannabis medical medical cannabis education company called Medical Cannabis Mentor. And I, I mean, I, the amount of, of inquiry we get all the time, we don't, we're not really even talking about treatment necessarily. We're talking about other issues, but people are very hungry to know and they really want to know. And there's tons of confusion. How do you use this stuff? How do you use an edible versus inhalation and why? And of course, there's reasons to do that, right? An edible, when you put it through the digestive system, you get six to eight hours of relief mm. as opposed to an inhalation, which hits quickly, but really only lasts for an hour or two, right? So you can mix and match these things in intelligent ways right. once you have some basic knowledge. But I would say most people are really lacking that basic knowledge, perhaps out of stigmatization, or just out of like general, when you you know when you ban something and prohibit something and put out dis disinformation about it, it works. It does work. Because you cannot regulate it, because the FDA cannot step in, because the pharma companies are using extracted versions of it to make their own uh, patentable they're trying. Drugs out there. They're trying. Well, I mean, Marinol kind of set a, a stage to an extent of what they think is possible. I mean, Genentech just released a drug based on mushrooms for multiple sclerosis. So that's where they're trying to take the technology out there. But to the to the point where, you know, here is a product that is in its like pre GNC vitamin shop yeah. consumer mentality out there. They've done a great job curating the best brands based on what consumers have given them choice with over 40 years of being a retail outlet. That doesn't exist for cannabis strains out there. And that doesn't exist for people to say, well, I had lupus. I took this particular thing and it worked for me. Yeah. But it might not work for you because you're either overweight or you also have diabetes or you're a different uh, racial background. Where do we build the, you know, is it right for you conversation in consumer choice when we reach the point of GNC and and because they're selling CBDs all over the place, but that's just one thing. Also unregulated. Yep. Highly, I wouldn't say dishonest, but highly. It's speculative. It's very speculative. Like they've done a lot of studies, even within brands, they'll test one bottle versus another and the cannabinoid content will be wildly disparate. Right. right? That's not good if you're sick. No. Right? You need consistency. Even if it's a botanical medicine, you need consistency. Well, it's like when is they, a great botanical medicine. Like when they cut cigarettes with like pig shit. Like you never know what's in it. I've right? never you, heard of that. That sounds disgusting. It, that, you have no idea the history of the – because we did a whole show on like uh, cigarette smoking and I learned a whole lot about like – because back in the day, they, they you were regulated. So the whole point is just because you buy a CBD lemonade at this store doesn't mean the CBD lemonade – next to that CBD lemon has the same no, stuff in it. No, not at all. You just don't all. know what's in the stuff that you think is helping you. Listen. There's additionally the, the I, I think that something that people, most people don't understand about marijuana is how much of a spectrum there is in terms of the effect that it has on you, uh, that, that, that one strain can have as opposed to another. Or even at one time, right? Yes. It, it can have various effects at one time, right? And the reason for that is, uh, there are many reasons actually, hundreds in fact. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, cannabis has 165 active components in it and another 300 or so inactive components. And like wine, where you grow it and the conditions under which you grow it vary wildly. So all those conditions produce different subtle effects within each variety, just like wine. So 
you know, a Pinot Noir grown in California versus a Pinot Noir grown in France are not the same drink. And it's the same for cannabis. You grow it outside in sun in Northern California by the sea, and then you take that and grow it indoors in, a, in an industrial grow, you aren't getting the same thing, mm-hmm. right? So that, those are, that's one level of variation. Then we have this other variation, which is called the endocannabinoid system, which is the system of receptors with which, all, with which the cannabinoids, THC, CBD, and other ones, attach. And we don't really know much about it, thanks to good old Schedule One again. You yes. Know, it really does prohibit a lot of research and a lot of dollars going into it. So we describe it as your endocannabinoid tone, but we don't know many more specifics than that. So there's obviously you know leaps and hurdles uh, to get when you get into this level of specificity. That said, this stuff works yes. for most people in most contexts. We get it. We know how to use it. You know how to what they people say. People find their way. They find their way, and and it hasn't killed anyone. Never. So experimenting doesn't does do never. any long term harm or even short term harm. You say, oh, that you know, like this one made me puke in the street. Not going to do that again. I'll find something else. I'll find something else. Yeah. Or I'll approach this differently. I'll try an edible. Yeah. Not I will not inhale a dab again. Yeah. Right? There are many ways to do it, and, and you're absolutely right. So I want to take the remaining time we have yes, to sir. just briefly talk about. This is clearly going to be a very hot topic on my show to keep going back to. It's it, there's an there's an, an unending desire from the chronic disease and cancer community to get credible information on what to do. When their doctor won't give them a card, whether there isn't a card, whether Cheech and Chong's around the corner, how do they know what to do? But let's wrap up this particular show talking about the role of the, quote unquote, the bud tender, which is the bartender of the dispensary who perhaps might be in between Cheech and Chong and a sommelier. Yeah. it's And again, that level varies dramatically so, uh, so our, our our company medical cannabis mentor we produce courses for what we call dispensary personnel right mm-hmm. we don't really want to call them bud tenders because some of them are really dealing with people on an intimate level with serious problems right yes. um and it's really tough there is no licensing for these folks many of the big multi-state operators don't want to spend the few pennies it costs to use our materials right, right? they don't really want to invest i mean the churn rate of bud tenders is 50 to 70% they pay these people bubkas you know they're paying them 15 bucks an hour or whatever the minimum wage is wherever you happen to be and of course they're not staying. There's no there's no lifespan there. There's no growth curve. They're not right. educating the people. It's just like a sales job at the end of the day. Yep. So I think that it's it's incumbent upon the industry, and I will say this, and I have said this many times, and it falls on many deaf ears, to really take the chart, take the lead here. Educate your people. They can educate the patients. Yes. We can start a wave of education. So my next mission in the next few months is to launch a patient education course on medical cannabis mentor for very little money that people can take, or maybe even for free. If some dispensary will just say, yeah, we'll license it from you. You know, I don't need a lot of dollars to do this. It's, it's what I want to do. It's how we started this whole project is like, but it's influence and mass distribution. You get one group to get behind this. You build the credible evidence behind there. Then you will get some, some intrepid young 
prime, uh, investigators to really quantify its value. And then you don't need federal descheduling to prove it because it's a consumer facing issue. It already, look, my partner's a doctor. She's one of the bravest people I know. She's been treating kids with seizure disorder since 2001 in California. Okay? With, with cannabis. With cannabis. She's an integrative physician. She has collected data on all of those patients. I mean, her original idea was to collect the data so in, in case she gets busted, right. she can prove what she's doing, okay? Well, now it turns out, X number of years later, that data is incredibly revealing and valuable, okay? Wow, yeah, sure. So we're using that data to create these courses, you know? Our next level of inquiry is to look at, and this is very interesting, how natural supplements work with cannabinoids to increase efficacy. And there is great data and evidence to show it. Nobody's looking at it yet, but Dr. Chin, my partner, again, these, these are the things that are revealing themselves in the data. So the, the whole idea of data is like another endless number of podcasts we can talk about. And But the idea of helping to educate patients, get them aware, um, is crucial because I'm, I've met some great bud tenders along the way. And then I've met some, you know, bell curve hey, man. it does seem like something that could be done poorly as well uh, don't you think because a lot of the qualifications are well what's your qualifications i've been smoking since i was 12 i ain't gonna do it yeah <laughs> and it certainly ain't gonna do it if you're a person who has a you know an intractable or difficult disease right and you want relief exactly exactly so matthew we have work to do we do part one of our joel dolce series of brave new weed thanks for coming in more to come folks Take care. Bye. Thank you. That's all for today, folks. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media. Our executive producer is Matthew Zachary. Our senior producers are Jen Horanjeff and Andrew McDowell. Darren Tun is our production intern. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Matthew Zachary. Our theme music is by the Mike Van Allen Quintet and by Mara. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations. For more information, visit offscript.com. <laughs>